you know, kind of what's, what's spawned this message, I guess you could say was, you know, talking to quite a bit of people in, in the church, they've been going through quite a bit of things. And, you know, so, some, some of the statements that are said is like, man, I just don't know how to deal now that, that this is happening. I mean, life changing events, sicknesses popping up or, or, uh, you know, loss of, of a loved one suddenly, tragically, many different areas of life. And what happens is you can get shaken. You know, everything might be going good in your life right now, and that's great. But when you get a time when you go into uh, some dark times, I wanted to give you something tonight that I apply myself all the time, every single day. And I want to give these to you because I really believe I'm going to give you four life application points tonight that you can apply on a daily life and living in the light of the Lord's return. Amen? You know, when you look at the Lord's return, it's not a scary thing. It's not a scary time. It's it's told to us so we could be comforted. It's told to us so we could keep moving forward with urgency. And I really believe that tonight your eyes will be open to some things that the Lord will want to show you. You know, when we get down, when we get down and we get in these situations and sometimes we, it seems hopeless. Sometimes it feels like your the life is being drained out of you, right? Have you ever been there? Yeah. I mean, you feel like you cannot go any further. What do you do when that happens? You know, when I say prophecy, I'm talking about eschatology, the study of end time events. And you may say, well, how does that apply to me? And that's where I want to go to tonight so you can see what it is, what it is that that spurns me forward, what it is that could spurn you forward when you go through things that are that, you know, seem to be life draining. Let me give you some statistics. There are twenty one point five percent of prophecy in the New Testament. Twenty seven percent of the whole Bible deals with end time prophecy. That's a quarter of the Bible. Think about it. 27% out of 333 prophecies concerning Christ, only 109 were fulfilled. That means there's 224 prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. There are over 300 references to the Lord's return in 260 chapters of the New Testament. So that's one out of every 30 verses. 23 of 27 New Testament books mention the Lord's return. Jesus himself refers to his return at least 21 times. And there are 1,527 Old Testament passages that refer to his return. For every time the Bible mentions his first return, it mentions his second coming eight times. So Jesus is not trying to sneak up He's not trying to make us feel like, man, I wonder if he's coming back. He is screaming that he is coming back. Amen. Praise God. So no matter what your week like has, your week has been like, no matter what is coming down the pike, no matter what's in two weeks, a month from now, or a year from now, if you will apply these four principles to your life, you will not be shaken. Number one, his coming promotes evangelism. John 14, three through six. We sang it about it tonight. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. 
and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. See, knowing the Lord can return at any moment keeps an urgency in your soul, an urgency to share the gospel. Notice he talks about his return and, and evangelism in the same text of Scripture. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. This is a biblical fact. No one comes in the name of good works, science, intellectualism, another God, no other religion or belief system. In these verses, Jesus is saying, I'm coming back, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So it's very clear that that is the message we go forward with, right? Notice even Paul. Paul lived his whole life, all through his whole saved life of the New Testament, going through, and he always had this in the, in, in the forefront of his mind. He lived his life with this principle on his refrigerator. <laughs> he probably didn't have a refrigerator, but... We know when Paul goes into the Arabian desert and spends time with the Lord in a vision, he comes right out the gate with First and Second Thessalonians, which is saturated with his return. No one really knows how much time we have left on this earth. And that is a good and a bad thing. A good thing is because when you're weeping over someone you've lost, you know that weeping can endure for the night, but the Lord could return in the morning. <laughs> that's not exactly how it says it, but, you know, that's how I see it. And then at the same time, it could be bad because you can sit and think that he's coming a long time from now. And then you will not want to put your affairs in order with the Lord. Look at what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 through 10. It says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Now watch this part. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, they were evangelized because they turned from their idols. So once again, we see evangelism taking place in light of the Lord's return. It's very interesting when you read in verse 10, it says, and to wait for his son from heaven. This is where we get the word imminent. That means the Lord could return. It's imminent. What this word means, it means hanging over our head. In other words, the way that you can see it is if someone is coming to your house and they tell you, I'll be there in five hours, you can take a nap for four hours. Or you can leave and come back, right? But imminent means they can walk through the door at any minute and you need to be ready. Paul said this in Thessalonians thousand, a couple of thousand years ago or however long ago, and it was imminent then. How much more is it imminent now? It literally means to continuously be waiting. In other words, our hand is on the door waiting to open it up for the Lord to come in. 
Think about that. 1 John 2.28, and now little children, abide, live, remain permanently in him so that when he is made visible, we may have and enjoy perfect confidence or boldness and assurance and not to be ashamed or shrink back from him at his coming. James 5.9, do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves will not be judged. Look at what it says. The judge is already standing at the very door. So imminency, knowing that, keeps us waiting, keeps us evangelizing. Then look at verse 10. It says, he delivers us from the wrath to come. There are some that say we're going through the wrath. Read 1 Thessalonians and many other scriptures in the Bible. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm sorry, I have something in my eye. 5, verse 9 and 10, God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus, not to pour out his anger on us. Verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. Exclamation point, no question mark. Revelation 3.10, it says, I will keep you from the hour of testing that is coming upon the whole world. He would say in Luke, watch and pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things. And then in Thessalonians it says, God has not appointed us to wrath. So what's the point? We're always watching. We're always waiting for him to return. That is, that is, should be on the inside of us. Uh, we should be postured, ready to see our king. Amen? There is nothing that needs to happen before the Lord returns. If, if, if something had to happen, it would not be imminency. You'd be able to say this event or that event, right? If it's, just give you a thought, if it's mid-trib, Daniel tells us that three and a half years for the great tribulation within the seven-year period, if you knew that the Lord could return, well, you could count the days and it would not be imminent anymore. So sometimes you just got to use some logical thought. Now think about this. The Bible tells us as it was in the days of Lot and Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What happened during that time? It was normal life. Things were going as planned. We're not waiting for some great, spectacular thing to happen before he shows up. Now think about this. We evangelize because we do not know how much we have left. People that believe the Lord can return is busy about the kingdom of God. And that is what Jesus calls us to be. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about the Bema seat and how amazing that's going to be when we stand before him as a worker that is not ashamed, right? Jesus told us as these things would come, it would be the beginning of sorrows. That's where we are. You know, I read a statistic the other day that we're up to about 100 earthquakes a day. Now, it tells you a big list of things, but it says when you begin to see all these things take place, when you begin to see all these things, look up for his redemption. is Our redemption is drawing nigh. That is amazing. I want to encourage you, whatever it is that is binding, holding you back, kick those things off and run forward because we don't know when the Lord's returning. He could return before this message is over.
That is imminency at its finest. Now think about this. Jesus would tell us, I told you these things. So when they would happen, you would what? Believe. That you would believe. Do you believe? Or do you think, oh, they've been saying that for so many years. You know what happens with the date setters? It produces scoffers. They say, oh, they've been saying that for years. They've been, they've been saying that. And it fulfills Bible prophecy once again. Because they say, where is the promise of his coming? They didn't say he's not coming back. They say, where is it? Since our fathers fell asleep, they've been saying that. Revelation 22, verse 7. I come quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book. Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Think about it. Revelation 22, 20. And he who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming quickly. Remember, a day is as a thousand years to the Lord. So think about this. The persecuted church used to walk around and they had a secret greeting. And you know what that greeting was? Maranatha. And that means, come Lord Jesus. They were going through persecution after persecution. And they would encourage each other by reminding them as in greetings that the Lord is about to return. Amen? Number two, his return influences our daily life and living. In 1 John 3, 2 and 3, it says, Beloved now, beloved now, we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. That means with the eyes that you are seeing, this person from New Iberia, you will see the great and mighty king that towers over all the earth. I praise God. Listen, if that don't get you going, I don't know that you know what salvation is. It says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. I love how it says in verse 3, everyone who has this hope fixed on him. That means I have my hope fixed on him every single day. I am obsessed with the Lord's return. If there was one message I could preach, it would be on the Lord's return. That is absolutely my favorite context of the whole Bible because it is relevant right now. It is right now. We're not heading into beginning of sorrows. We are there. We're not heading into the end times. We are there. And I can prove it to you if I had five or six hours. Literally fixated. And notice it doesn't say it's fear that drives living pure. It's hope. This hope fixated drives us to live pure. Look what it says in verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who has given himself for us and redeemed us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, 
zealous for good works. You don't mind all these scriptures, right? Make sure I'm talking to the right people. Seriously, if you read these verses and you meditate on them, it will it will destroy your your soul. I mean, your wicked soul. Those those areas that run for sin. When you read this, it's like it's chopping the hands off of evil. It's like slapping the hand of going for the cookie jar. Amen. I mean, I don't know if you if you have these moments where you you go into the slippery slope of the flesh, and you just think about man. I, I, I deserve to respond this way. I deserve to, right? When you think about this hope purifies, it wants to cut the hands off what I think I deserve, what I think I could go run and get. Amen? Look at what it says in Romans 13, 11 through 14. I love this, these verses. This is all more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. Everybody say, wake up. You know, the, the sad thing about waking, not, not being able to wake up, you don't know you're asleep. The alarm, when the alarm goes off, it shocks you. You slap it. You try to go back to sleep. <laughs> no? Some people have like they, the different times, like I'm going to wake up, then I'm going to think about waking up, and I'm going to finally get out of bed, Then I, you know, right? But when you wake up, you don't know that you're asleep. And so... Jesus is saying, wake up. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Remove your dirk, dark, <laughs> dirk, dirk Nowitzki, you know. Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or immoral living or quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus. And do not let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. It's like, it's like Paul just did. Hey guys. Right into the heart. Boom. When you read that verse, you're like, wow, there's so much life application here. Like one has said, it does not do any good to understand the seven heads in the book of Revelation if we don't use our head to apply the gospel. What good is it to discern the ten toes in Daniel if we don't use our ten toes to run into the darkness with the gospel? What good is it to know about the mouth that speaks blasphemy? If we don't use our mouth to speak truth, I think of the parallel words in the book of John. I'm sorry, in the book of Luke. Looking at John the, 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 the Baptist. To un I want to give you some, some things to think about here. When you look in the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. And when you look at that book, the, it ends with talking about the forerunner that is coming. And then if you pick up in the book of Luke chapter 2, it continues the story. So later if you read Malachi and you go into Luke, it's like you skip the 400 years that are, that are separate. And during that 400 years, God was allowing the Romans to build the roads. That way people could go in and travel. See, God is not silent even though we may think he is. 
He is doing something. And just like before Jesus came, John the Baptist is here on the banks of the Jordan proclaiming the gospel. He is proclaiming repentance. And people were not ready when he came. Just like today, people are not ready. They just think like, I can do whatever I want and no big deal and it's all going to work out in the end. That's not what's happening. Listen, even the world knows something is going on. I hear it all the time like, man, it's like we're living in apocalyptic days and atheists are saying this. It's like if you're an atheist, you don't believe in the apocalypse. People spend a lot of time bashing a God they don't believe in. Now look at this in Luke chapter 3, verses 2 and 6. The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Now watch this. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. What's life application? I want to give you quickly two things. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist was using his mouth to proclaim the gospel. And no one understood that the king was coming. He was evangelizing those around him. Being You can be a voice crying in someone's wilderness today when they feel like they are in this desert place and it is hopeless and they haven't seen anything for years. You could be the one that is proclaiming the grace and power of Almighty God. John the Baptist was called great in the kingdom because he preached a great gospel. Amen? Then look what it says in Luke 3, 5, and 6. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. Crooked will become straight and rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. What is John saying here? That people need to raise up the low places of life that they're living. Raise up our standards, right? Get out of the valley. Get out of the ditch. Think bigger. And then if you are dealing with pride and arrogance and high lofty living, come low. It's what it's saying. That's the life application. Live rightly. Evangelize and live rightly. Amen? And all the flesh, listen, look what it says. The crooked will become straight. That means stop living these crooked Ways where we're trying to manipulate and do all these things. Get on the straight and narrow and walk that thing out. And all the people will see our great God and Savior in our own life. Right? We proclaim the gospel. We, we up, we come out of the, the low places and we bring down the high places. And then we, we smooth out the roads for other people. We smooth out the roads in our own life. Make a difference. Right? That's one of our vision statements. Make a difference. Whatever it is, when you see somebody in the ditch, don't say, oh, man, I'm going to pray for you. Get in the ditch. Pick them up. Right? That's how we make a difference. Not that you can be on, on Facebook or whatever, that, that God Almighty can be glorified. 
right? That's why we do what we do. Nobody sees some of the things that you do. But your heavenly father sees and will reward you openly. Amen? So it applies to our standard of living. So just like before his first coming, that was the, the key. That is also the key in our life and living before the Lord returns as well. Second Peter 3, 9 and 15. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. Do you think that? Sometimes you think like, man, God is being slow here. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. This is before the second coming. We still got some time. Not the rapture, okay? Since everything around us is going to be destroyed, look at what it says. What holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day and hurrying it along. I like that. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire. Now, in other words, what he's saying is one day, all the unrighteousness we see, the fires of unrighteousness that we live around, one day God Almighty will take the cold, wet blanket of righteousness and it will descend on this earth and every fire will be put out. And the grace and power of God will be seen and all will wonder after this one we call Jesus. Amen? That is very good news. Look what it says. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, are you waiting? No? <laughs> you might not be. Like, I wasn't even thinking about that, actually. Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. I like that. Once again, evangelizing and right living in the same context of these verses. So I hope you're seeing, knowing the Lord can return, keeping our eyes on the, on the hope fuels evangelism and right living. Number three, his return calms the troubled heart. First Thessalonians chapter four, 13 through 18. My favorite verses in all of the Bible. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. You have family that have died. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about the loved one that has passed on. Look what it says. So that you grieve. You will not grieve as those who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Amen. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds and will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, I'm sorry, 
with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. The Bible tells us we don't grieve as those who have no hope. You always have hope, even when it looks hopeless. Even when it seems hopeless. Even when people tell you it is hopeless. It is never hopeless. We serve the God of hope. Right? When I read these verses at a graveside, I see the word of God penetrate a sorrowed heart. And I see just an inkling of joy raising up. And I see that sparkle in the eye of hope. Even at the lowest moment of someone's life, you can see the power of God, the power of his word rising up on the inside of them. These verses of scripture have been the, the very verses I've laid my head on at night when I was sorrowful of the things that were going on. These verses command comfort. They're not suggestions. Let the word of God command your soul to come out of grief, right? To believe truth in spite of feeling. Listen, the trumpet of God is the alarm clock to the grieving soul where parents will reunite with kids and husbands will reunite with wives and wives with husbands. The trumpet of God will wipe away every sin-stained heart as we transform from mortal to immortality. The true reality will set in when this world will seem like a dream and heaven will be the reality. We are going to a place where there is no more weeping, where there is no more sorrow, where every wheelchair has to stay behind, where cancer cannot go into its gates, where every heart is full in desperation and despair is left in the dust, where those that have been abused their whole life run free in the grace and power of God Almighty, where the free songs are the natural go-to emotion in heaven. And those of you that have lost kids in miscarriage, or maybe the death of a child that was born stillborn, or a child that was killed tragically, will be at the gate, like, like a child waiting at an airport gate, saying, Mommy, Daddy, over here. Listen. Mind has not thought of, eyes have not seen, nor ears heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Death has a sting, but it's not hopeless. Death will lose its sting when it sees Jesus Christ face to face. Amen. Listen, we do grieve, obviously. Look at Jesus. He wept with La at Lazarus' grave. Even knew he knew Lazarus was coming out. John 14, 13, 1 through 3. Don't let your heart be troubled. 
believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, for you. Everybody say for me. He goes to prepare a place for you. Let that sink in. The architect of the ages knows exactly what kind of wallpaper you like. Right? He knows everything about you. He knows the things that you don't even know you like. He has prepared for you. And listen, if you've ever seen the Yellowstone or Grand Canyon or Israel or the prettiest beach, that is in a sin-stained environment, and it's still beautiful. Think about the glory of heaven. I go to prepare a place, and I will come again and receive you to myself. He's coming for me. He's coming for you. Not a group of us. We look at how he's coming. No, he's coming for you. He's saying, I'm ready to be with you. You've worshipped me through a roof. You've worshipped me through the clouds. It's time to come up here and see how great and powerful that I am. Amen. Once again, in times of trouble, the principle of his return can be applied. Trouble means stirred up, disturbed, unsettled, or confused. Do not let your heart be unsettled. Do not let your heart be confused. Do not let it be stirred up. There's more disturbance in this world between crime and terrorism and relational conflict, economic uncertainty, weather, disease, etc. How many times over the years have these verses calmed my mind? As I'm sitting in a doctor's office waiting for test results, I would automatically go to before that doctor walks in with the scan results, he could come. And instantly peace would fill my heart and fill my soul. When I would look at a monitor waiting for a heartbeat, I would say the Lord could come back and remove us from this situation. And if that baby's dead, I will see the baby on the other side. Come on, there's, it's never hopeless. Never hopeless. So once again, in these, this text, three things, a person, Christ, right? A place, heaven, and a promise, he will return for me. That's what you can apply. Number four, in the last point, his return motivates us to serve. First Corinthians 15, 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die but we will all be transformed. It will happen in the moment, in the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying treadmill-filled bodies, that's not in there. <laughs> I added that, actually. Must be transformed into bodies that need no treadmill. We will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. 
death, where is, where is your sting? Look at what it says. For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God. Everybody say, thank God. He gives us victory over sin through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Man, God's word just penetrates you. Listen to what it says right here. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. You know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I don't know if you feel like sometimes what you're doing for the Lord is pointless. But listen, as I was reading this today, the Lord was saying, Kelly, I see everything. And I'm here to tell you tonight, the Lord sees everything you do. And the Lord is so pleased with everything that you do. Whether it's the smallest thing or the biggest thing, the Lord is pleased because you are doing it unto him. Sometimes we have to preach that to ourselves. And I don't know where you are, but let that rejuvenate your heart. Let that rejuvenate your mind. That what you're doing is not pointless. When you're smiling at someone and they come up to you and say, why are you smiling? And you say, because the Lord Jesus Christ is working in my life. Because I don't have a reason to be happy. But God Almighty is filling me with his joy. And I can tell you about that same joy if you will just listen. If you will sit down and let me tell you about this Jesus I serve. We should always be watching and waiting. Listen, I've never seen more Christians that are clueless to the greatest event that is coming. I mean, this gives you the reason to wake up. I mean, this, you can wake up and say, this could be the last day I'm on this earth. I need to see who's coming with me today. Right? We are commanded by Christ to watch. We are commanded by Christ to pray. We are commanded by Christ to evangelize. And listen, if it comes out of the king's mouth, that is the greatest thing that you and I can partake in. Why would we desire to be an earthly king when we could be a godly servant? There's no greater privilege on this earth than serving the kingdom of God. And the one who is above all, whose who's majesty, who is almighty, who is all powerful, who sits on the throne in heaven, and his glory is seen through the very clouds, through the, the sun that comes down and warms your face, right? When you are not feeling good and he just, he just comes down and the Holy Spirit enthusiastically picks you up. The Holy Spirit's not like, come on, come get up. No, the Holy Spirit swoops down as the Spirit of God is just moving on the inside of you. And God Almighty, when you start reading this word, it's like it starts stirring on the inside of you. Right? And your mind has to be reminded that these things are passing. Paul would say that these things are not even worthy to be compared to the things that are coming. And those things can happen tonight. Amen. Praise God. Titus 2.14. 
He gave us life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people committed to doing good deeds. See, early we saw that it, 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 it shows us that we can live a godly life, but it also shows us to do good deeds. And in Luke, it tells us to be dressed for service, right? Be dressed, be waiting, be ready. Finally, if you've ever wondered if you were gifted to do what God has called you to do, or maybe you think it's down the road, listen, the time is now. Now. It don't say tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's day. It's now. You are equipped now. Right now. You are, God has called you to do it. Do it now. Amen? First Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I'm going to give you scripture to prove it. I always thank my God for you, for the gracious gifts he has given you, that now you belong to Christ. Through him, God has enriched your church. Everybody say, God has enriched Family Life Church. <laughs> That's kind of long. You probably should just keep it to little small statements. I get it. Then it says, with all your eloquent words and all your knowledge, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Verse 7, now you have every spiritual gift you need. It don't say you're going to get every spiritual gift. It says, now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord. He will keep you, look, strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on that day when our Lord Jesus returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you to partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can we stand? Listen, Paul thought the Lord could return at any moment. Those many years ago, how much more should we be watching and waiting? So I'm going to sum this up. You might even be here tonight and you have no clue about the Lord. I'm going to pray with you. And if you don't know him, you don't even have to lift your hands. You could just pray this prayer. And I believe it's not the prayer that saves you, but it's the fact that you're calling out to God and he will send his spirit and regenerate your soul. And you will live a life of obedience and faith. And it will be absolutely the greatest life you will ever walk into. Praise God. So before I get to that, I just want to finish it up with these six things. Evangelize. That means at work, the neighbors, church. Number two, live rightly. Live as if, as if you are wanting to please the Lord in your daily life and living. Number three, live calm and fearless. Come on. Jesus said, do not fear. Do not fear death, for I have overcome death. Don't fear the world, for I have overcome the world. Number four, we should be comforting others. Listen, anytime somebody is dealing with something, you can come and tell them the Lord can return. You don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. Number five, serve with urgency. Now is the time. Don't put it off. Listen, you can come to our Next Steps class. You can take 
the spiritual gifts test and see exactly what God has placed on you. I promise you, he won't whisper it to you. He won't try to get you to figure out. He's going to say, this is what I've called you to do. And we've, we've got the material that you can look at and that you can let the Lord speak to you through it. And number six, watch and wait. That's my favorite part. Now, if you don't know the Lord, I just want to give you an opportunity to receive him into your life. If you don't know the Lord, I want the church to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And I confess, I repent of every sin I've ever committed. I thank you for dying in my place. And I receive the gift of pardon. I believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day. Thank you for saving me. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Let me pray a prayer blessing over you. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that the words that were, were spoken tonight would penetrate the hearts of your people. And God, you would give them that grace and that mercy and that urgency, God, to run into the world and, and proclaim your goodness. God, give them a fervent passion that will never wear out in their lives. God, speak to them in prayer. Speak to them in your word. And speak to them, Lord, during their time of worship because you are worthy of all praise. In Jesus' name, I bless your people here tonight with your authority. I bless everything they touch. I bless everything they do. And God, I ask right now that you would bless everything that they put their hands to for your glory in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you and good night.